When was the last time you went to the doctor because you had nothing wrong with you? When was the last time you went to the doctor because you had nothing wrong with you? I'm at the age now I have to go to doctors for checkups. But even that, the word checkup has built into it the suspicion there might be something wrong with me. In fact, that's why I'm going because I'm heading in the direction of things wrong with me in life. We all are, aren't we? My skin, if you've been around reforming, you'll know come wintertime, one day I'll come here and my face will look like it's a blistering mess. Some people, when they first saw it, thought I had leprosy, perhaps. And said, no, I'm burning off all the things you can't see that apparently the doctor can see on my skin so I don't die from those things. When was the last time you went to the doctor because they had nothing wrong with you? Likewise, friends, we don't go to Jesus because we're all sorted, sinless, so going well in life, righteous, and therefore needless. Sin in our life is more than just a category for us. It's more than a theological concept. It's more than something to be debated or found in someone else. Sin is not something to be pointed out over there. It's to be reflected upon and examined in here, in my heart. And sin is more than a nuisance. It's not as if, you know, again, the stage and age I am in life, for some reason on Facebook, I get ads for, I can't even say the word, probably calisthenics, calisthenics. I don't know. And they're pictures. Here's what a 30-year-old man should look like. And I'm like, well, that's not me. Here's what a 40-year-old man should look like. That's not me. Here's a 50-year-old man should look like. I'm like, well, if I do this calisthenics for 28 days, I'll look like that. But it's not as if sin, if I could just do the right 28-day challenge of the sin reduction diet, and then, hey, presto, I will have no sin. Sin is a sickness, and it's killing us. And we are actually paralyzed by its power. We are unclean from it. In fact, as you keep reading the scriptures, you realize the only way I could have, you could have your face turned towards Jesus is because of his saving grace. Because in my own sin, without the Holy Spirit calling, electing, predestining, doing his saving work, without that happening, where would I always turn? Away from God. My heart would always default away because of my sin. Last Sunday, we were amazed at Jesus' authority. Today, we see that Jesus, with his authority, comes toward the sick and comes toward all sinners. I want you to see three things here. You see it on the sermon outline page for that service sheet. Firstly, Jesus can make you clean, only Jesus. Jesus can forgive your sin, and Jesus is calling all sinners. And we meet Jesus in this episode, in verse 39, just previously, he's, he's preaching. Verse 39 of Mark 1, he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. That's his ministry. It's preaching, and it's healing. And then a leper comes to him and asks for something slightly different than healing. I want you to notice this. He's not particularly asking for healing, particularly. Have a look. Verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Clean. And what will Jesus do? 
Now, I recognize, and perhaps you do too, in our society, we don't understand leprosy very well here. Not in this part of the world. I did a little bit of growing up in Africa, and Africa, leprosy is still a thing in places there. It's awful. You can Google it. It's not something to Google over a meal. It's just leprosy is an awful thing to look at, let alone to be infected by. And it means that it's the kind of disease, therefore, that is stigma-associated, stigmatized. Now, if I get a cold, and look, winter's coming. I get a cold, um, and I sneeze. Some people might wish, you know, and they might say, elbow. But they're not going to perhaps, you know, walk away from me scared. But if you see someone with leprosy, it's more of a stigmatized, it's a societal uncleanness type disease. I've tried to think about how we liken that into our day and age. Well, unlike a coal, it's not like a coal. It's more like when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, those who had AIDS. Because back then, there were a lot, there's a lot of misunderstanding about how you could catch AIDS. It was, it was a stigmatized type of disease. It was like if you had that, regardless of how you got that, people wouldn't go near you. They wouldn't touch you. They wouldn't want to be near you. It's a social disease, is leprosy. And I want you to notice that we've got to feel that this is not just someone that's got a cold or someone that's sick or someone, this is someone that no one else wants to go near because they're sick. This is a social disease. Someone like that or that type comes into the crowd that Jesus is in and comes near Jesus. And everyone's asking, what is Jesus going to do? Is Jesus willing to go near someone, help someone who is unclean? In Leviticus 13, we read in the Old Testament the laws about those with leprosy. And to our ears, we might think this sounds a bit unkind, but it's for that person's life and still for them to be somehow near the community, but also kept away for the sake of the community. Hear the, hear the law in Leviticus 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, which is a signpost. There's something wrong here. And let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! 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 He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Do you see this? Do you see what the leper really is asking for? Not just healing. The leper is asking to be spiritually clean. See, normally touching a leper makes you ceremonially unclean. Which makes what Jesus does, what he does next, so socially out of place, so astounding, because Jesus touches the man. And notice what happens when Jesus touches the men. Normally, you touch a leper, you are now unclean. What happens? Jesus touches the leper. Jesus doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. 
is cleansed from his disease. And verse 45, the leper goes out and begins to talk freely. Now notice Jesus sternly charged him not to. See that there? Verse 44, don't tell anyone. Keep this private. Go to the priest. Offer for your cleansing what Moses commanders approved to them. And then you're back in the community. Why does Jesus say that? It's early days in Mark's gospel. It's early days in Jesus' life and ministry, his three years of ministry. And in these early days, Jesus doesn't want a crowd who just want their earthly needs met. It could be so misunderstood what's really going on here. Jesus wants to meet the real needs of people. And, and it's easy to grab a crowd of people, attractional style ministry, and, and it just suit their earthly needs, their worldly needs. And Jesus wants none of that. And so he says, you don't need to tell anyone. Because Jesus, of course, is going to continue his ministry, meeting lepers on the go, but you don't need to tell anyone now. Of course, the leper tells everyone. Now, can you blame him, though? Like, honestly, put yourself in his sandals. Jesus has just changed everything for you. He's just changed everything. What would you do? You can't get, friends, you can't get an evangelistic tract, an evangelistic course, a training method of six weeks in how to share the gospel that's better than Jesus changing your life. If you've actually had Jesus change your life, you could not but help tell anyone you came across, could you not? You could not but help shout it from the rooftops. I'm getting on Facebook right now. Could you blame him for telling? Friends, I want you to reflect upon this. If you know Jesus has changed your life, you don't need to worry about skills or even, I would dare say, courage about telling anyone else about that. Do you believe he changed your life? Tell some people. Why not? What's going to happen? Jesus is Lord and King. They're not going to be your friend? Goodness. If you have friends that won't be your friend because Jesus changed your life, hey, friends. But those friends, they need Jesus too, don't they? They need Jesus to change their hearts. They need Jesus to make them clean because Jesus, secondly, can forgive your sin. We look in the next scene, Jesus is in a house. He's at home and... There's no room left, verse 2, not even outside the door. Jesus continues to preach. He's teaching and preaching. And as this is happening, as they're inside like we're inside here, there's something happening outside. Now, perhaps people inside can kind of hear it, you know, because there's people at the door, there's, there's, there's people at the window. At first, they can hear it and sort of ignoring it because we're listening to Jesus preaching right now. But then... Perhaps you might notice past the window, uh, there's people getting on the roof. And there's people, and they are getting on the roof. And, and what's happening next is, I mean, if, if you've got front row seats to Jesus preaching that day, you're, you're kind of getting a bit annoyed right now because right now there's dust and straw and mud and it's, it's, a, and it's falling on your head. And you're like, I've got good seats today. And you guys are just going, and, and, and then all of a sudden, out of desperation, there's four guys and their friend. And they're just lowering their friend down in front of Jesus. And everyone's looking at Jesus right now to see what happens next. 
But I want you to see, just for a moment, the four unnamed friends. Just look at them for a moment. Just like if you were the leper and were healed and cleansed and forgiven and you couldn't stop but tell anyone, look at these men. Look at their compassion. Look at their care. Harrying their friend. And that shows their faith in Jesus. They trust that Jesus can heal and nothing will deter them from getting to Jesus. Climb on top of the house. Cut through the roof. Get to Jesus any way we can. Do we do that? Do we want to get to Jesus any way we can? What is it about us that gathers us here? Is there other reasons we want get to that coffee any way we can? I want to say it's great coffee. Get to this air conditioning any way we can. That pool table, that foosball table. Are we wanting to get to Jesus? Am I? Because if you know that Jesus can change everything, you want to get to Jesus in every moment of your life as fast as you can. Open his word. Hear his voice. Get to Jesus. Rely upon him in prayer. Because here is a man who cannot get to Jesus. This is the man, isn't it? The man who cannot get to Jesus, who cannot move, is moved to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to that paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's straightforward, isn't it? I think it's easy for us to glide over. You may have heard this before. You may have seen this scene before in the Bible. It's a pretty famous scene. But we need to just stop and slow down a bit and just focus on that. Son, your sins are forgiven. Because we should be asking this question, what in the world? Jesus, um, uh, look, not trying to tell you what to do, Jesus. Um, you know, uh, we, we saw we were there. We know the Holy Spirit came down, beloved son. You know, it seems you're the God man. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. But um, what about what about saying, Jesus, you're healed? What about a suggestion that you say, you know, get up, you're healed, and the name of God be well? What about those things? No, no, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I think for us, it ought to confound us a little bit. Why doesn't he say you're healed? Why does he say your sins are forgiven? Now, for you and I, it might confound us, but not the scribes. See, there are people in that crowd who do get what's going on right now, and they're whispering. And questioning in their hearts. Verse 6, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because they know their Old Testament. Not well enough to know who Jesus is. Sadly, never well enough to know who Jesus is. But they know their Old Testament enough to know this. They know enough that in the Old Testament, it's only the Lord. The phraseology is the Lord has put away your sin. Nathan, the prophet Nathan to David. He says, the Lord has put away your sin. David's murder, adultery. Nathan doesn't say, I forgive your sins. Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin. But Jesus is not saying that. Jesus says, I forgive your sin. 
hey, only God can forgive sins. And if he claims to be forgiving sins, he's claiming to be God. And this claim is punishable by death, which, by the way, if you read the rest of Mark's gospel, is kind of ironic because that's where it goes. But, of course, they don't say this out loud. They're thinking it, and yet Jesus knows what they're thinking. Why? Because he is the great heart reader. We worry about what we say in private. We worry about what we say, whether other people hear what we say. We worry about that. Why are we worried what Jesus hears what we say? I find that extraordinary. We're never worried what Jesus is hearing. Jesus is in every corner, closet, room of this world by his spirit. He's there. He's here right now. And friends, he more than knows what we say. He knows what you're thinking right now. And so he says to them, I know what you're thinking. But which is easier is my question for you. And it's here we see in Mark's gospel, the introduction of the hostility between the religious rulers and Jesus. Here it begins. And Jesus' authority is refused by the very people who ought to have recognized it. And here is the contrast with the religious rulers. It soon becomes conflict because Jesus knows their hearts. Which is easier to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? I want you to think about the right now reforming. Which is easier? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or rise, get up, be healed? It's obvious which is easier. It's easier to say, isn't it? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. How would you test that? People today want to walk around declaring in different sects of the church. Roman Catholicism might have a priest say, your sins are forgiven. With that one reference to God's word. It's easier to say that. How would you test it? No one can test it, really. And who has the authority, the right to say such things? Yet Jesus is actually teaching us something here. Jesus is teaching us something here. And verse 10 is the kicker. Verse 9, which is easy to say, your sins are forgiven, arise, take it, bed and walk. Verse 10, but that you may know this. I'm doing this so you may know something. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. See what's happening? I'm going to prove to you I have authority to forgive sins by doing the thing you thought I would do firstly. I'm getting there. Here's why the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, because I can do this in a moment. Get up. I'm doing what four men could not do, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm doing what none of you could do. Because Jesus has authority to forgive sins. He just says, get up. It's that concise. Take your bed and go home. Now that is raw power. That is power exercised in a few words. And that same power, Jesus says, I can forgive your sin. What Jesus does for the paralytic and the leper is amazing, isn't it? It's like a great furniture restoration. You know, you, you watch the television shows, 
Or if you know someone that restores furniture, and we do know a few people, I think some of them are even in this congregation, restore furniture. See, what Jesus does is what we all want, isn't it? Think about furniture restoration. What happens in furniture restoration? Something that you look at in the before picture is so restored to its former glory the way it was meant to be in the first place. And that's what Jesus is doing with a leper and a paralytic. He restores them to the way that God intended them to be in the first place. Would you not want that? Of course you'd want that. Because the paralytic, the leper, you and I need that kind of restoration. Because sickness and sin are two aspects of our world that we live in. We are all sinners. And we all get sick in various ways. And the big sickness of sin is leading to our end, which is death. And whilst God has not promised to heal physically in this life every single time, he does promise to forgive every single time. And forgiveness is a big deal. We saw in Psalm 32, one of our cross-reference readings earlier, verse 30, Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Not blessed is the one who has never sinned and can claim in front of others, I've never done anything wrong. Not blessed is the person who can self-justify, claim to be self-righteous. Not blessed is the one who can show you a list of good things they've done or a list of bad things they've done and the, bad, the list of bad things is very, very small and the list of good things is very, very large. Not blessed is that person at all. In fact, the biggest sin that we need to often confess is self-righteousness. It is self-righteousness that keeps us out of the kingdom of God. It is self-righteousness that we need to confess before him. Any skeric of me saying, I deserve this or earn this or I'm worth this, should be confessed on the table. And we say, I am a sinner before a holy God. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is that person. Jesus shows you he has that authority to forgive you. And look at the response of the crowd. They're amazed and they glorify God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Never. Never in all my days. They were amazed. They praised God. Never, never seen anything like this before. If they were told to stand up and let sing, they would They would blow the doors off the building and the hole in the roof would be gone because there'd be no roof anymore. They've never seen anything like this. This would be not something to whisper in song or in word or to their friends. This would be something to say, hey, look, I've got to go and I've got to tell some people. Because they know now, verse 10, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And that son of man, Jesus, is God. This is why we read Daniel 7 earlier. Daniel 7, in Daniel 7, that passage read earlier, cross-reference reading, what do we see there? Daniel has a vision of God. Daniel has a vision of God in heaven. And then he says, look, it's strange because Daniel is apocalyptic literature. The word apocalyptic means revealing. The word revelation, apocalypto. That book, Revelation, it's the same literature. It's picture language revealing big things that are sometimes hard to understand for creaturely brains. And so he's saying in Daniel 7, 
look, I had this vision of heaven and it was amazing. And there's God who is holy and glorious and great and in unapproachable light. And I can almost barely look and I see him, but then I'm befuddled because something happens that's so strange to me because what happens next is verse 14, and to him, to a son of man is given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Daniel's saying, there's God and there's this human who's given the authority of God. Now, I wonder who that human could be. Uh, It's the Son of Man who has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus is not blaspheming because Jesus is God. God who came as a man to die a death on a cross in the place of judgment against your sin, my sin so that you can know what it is to be forgiven by him. So thirdly, friends, we need to hear this call. Jesus is calling all sinners. We see in the next scene of verse 13, Jesus goes out beside the sea again. He's in the Galilee region. He goes out beside the sea. The crowd is coming to him. Jesus is teaching them. And then he sees someone, Levi. I love how the detail Mark puts in. This is not just a random, this is Levi, son of Alphys. We know who this is. In fact, they know who this is because Levi is a tax collector. Levi's the kind of guy you'd meet at a party. And you, you kind of meet, oh, hello, Nick, what do you do? I'm a gardener or a worker or whatever Nick does. Oh, hello, Rory, what do you do? Well, I serve as a podiatrist some days of the week. I serve in biblical counseling other days of the week. I serve as the session clerk and elder of Reforming Church and other days of the week. And Rory, do you have any other days free? Like, do you do lots of things? Oh, hello, Levi. What do you do? I'm a tax collector. I what? I'm a tax collector. I what? I can't. What? Um, I work with numbers. You see, it's cool to be a fisherman in those days. And it's not so cool, I guess, to be tax collectors these days or work for the Reserve Bank or whatever you do with those numbers. But we need to get this. It's not just because he's a tax man that people don't like tax collectors and put them in the same category as sinners. So you've never noticed that. Why do they go sitting with tax collectors and sinners? It's not just because they're tax collectors. Tax collectors were not respectable workers like the ATO. Tax collectors worked for the oppressive overlords, the Romans. And tax collectors were renowned for cheating people out of money, for betraying their own people to the Romans, for dobbing them into the Romans. They were corrupt and everyone held them in contempt. So here we have Jesus looking at this dubious, dodgy tax collector, and he says, I want you for my team. And we'd all go, no, not that, no, no, not that guy, Jesus. And Jesus, do you know who that is? The calling of Levi, the tax collector, is a teaching point for us. And by the way, friends, look at this. He doesn't just call him. What does he do? He eats with him. And this is a sign of acceptance. And Matthew invites all his friends from that unacceptable crowd along and Jesus eats with them too. The whole scene is scandalous for the Pharisees. Look at verse 16. 
The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus' answer is this, hey friends, who do doctors spend time with? What is the mission of a medical person? Jesus is showing you that he has come to forgive and call all sinners. The Pharisees see sinners and tax collectors as those that disregard the law of Moses, those in need of a rebuke. (laughs) Jesus comes along and says, you're reading your Bibles badly. You're getting God's word wrong. You are thinking what most Aussies think. The Pharisees and scribes think this, that to come to God, you need to be good. It's the wrong way around. The prerequisite of coming to God is not that you're good enough. It's not even that you're good. To come to God is to acknowledge you're bad. I'm bad. And Jesus comes along and gives the outcast, the ultimate all-access card. You get to go backstage with Jesus. You're on Team Jesus. You're on the place that all the self-righteous would not want you to be. The very people you'd expect to be interested in Christianity, the moral, the religious, are the least interested in Christ. For the self-righteous religious type, Jesus is a teacher to learn interesting things and to learn some things you can use against other people. And Jesus is never the saviour for their own sin. Because Jesus is saying, I'm the doctor for six sinners. And here we see in verse 17, the second purpose statement of Mark. Jesus has already given a purpose statement in chapter 1, verse 38. He said, I've come to preach, right? But now we see this second purpose statement. Do you see it there? Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinner. Now we know not many episodes later or scenes later in chapter 3, the Pharisees, they go out and they hold counsel with the Herodians on how to destroy Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Here is someone who cleanses lepers, heals paralytics, forgives sinners, and what do they want to do with this guy? Let's conspire together over the bonfire on how we can destroy him. Let's kill him. Let's get him out of here. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's extraordinary. The rebellion in their hearts runs that deep But here is the wonder of Jesus. He came to call even those sinners. Even them. Jesus is calling all sinners. Jesus is calling you. Friends, see this. The leper needed to be clean. The paralytic needed forgiveness. And sinners need acceptance with God. Have you ever seen anything like this? I want to briefly finish with three things what this speaks to, what Jesus is speaking to. Jesus is speaking to Jesus and you. And Jesus is speaking to us as a church. And Jesus is then speaking to Bendigo and beyond. Firstly, Jesus and you, Jesus and me. Do you see who Jesus is? Do you now know That the Son of Man, Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. In fact, let me change that. Do you know that Jesus has authority to forgive your sin? 
When Jesus enters our view, preaching the good news of the gospel, making disciples, healing the sick, calling all sinners, we now have a choice. We can be like the Pharisees and scribes, and I think a lot of Australians tend to be like that. We can pretend we're fine. I'm fine. I'm not sick. I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. It's all the other people. That's their problem. It's not me. We can never admit wrong. We could pretend that we're, we've done everything right, that we don't need help. We can do that. That's the choice. We could do that. But that's what the scribes and the Pharisees do. We could do that. Or, and I hope you can see this now, or we can get real with Jesus. Real on how needy we are and go to Jesus as fast as we can. Which will you choose? Do you see that Jesus has come to restore your soul, to forgive your sin, to bring you back to God? We often say, you know, welcome to church. I'm often wrong. I'm always weak, but I'm always welcome with Jesus, if you can admit that. It's true, isn't it? Well, here's something else. We all have spiritual leprosy. We all have spiritual leprosy. We're all spiritually paralyzed by our sin. And we are all sick. And that's why God comes into our world, Jesus Christ, and he eats with sinners like us. Jesus is calling you now. He is saying to you now, be clean. Jesus says to you now, rise up, leave your sin and follow me. Jesus says to you, I'm calling you. He loves you. He laid his life down for you. So turn from your sin and follow him. What about Jesus and us as a church? I think now Jesus does change everything for us. Of course, he does it every week, but the more you see Jesus, the more you want to change. You can't stay where you were when you meet Jesus. Things change. And for us, things will mean internally, inwardly, before it becomes outwardly, we will be a bunch of people who have seen Jesus and will be the kind of people that are Mark 2.12ing it. If you made t-shirts, that would be the verse. Mark 2.12. And it would say, we have never seen anything like this. I don't care if you are an influencer on TikTok. I don't care if you've got the Instagram of Instagram pages. I don't care the followers, likes, the songs, the concerts, the movies, the way in which you could say you're a world changer. No, we have never seen anything like this. Physical ills will come. Social ills will come, but forgiveness and restore relationship with God has come. And now, like the leper who's been made clean, we can't stop telling everyone. Friends, if you believe this, you are a walking miracle. You are an evangelistic tract. You are an evangelistic course. You are the handiwork of God restored in your soul by Jesus. You have experienced the miracle of forgiveness. 
which means when it comes to lastly, Bendigo and Beyond. What will this mean for Bendigo and Beyond? Bendigo's got a lot of good services, is why people live here. Goodness, Maya started in Bendigo. We've got Maya even. Got lots of McDonald's, last time I checked. We've got a mine to tour. All the services and shops and hospitals and schools. But what does Bendigo need most of all? A hospital for the sick. A hospital for sinners. A church is a hospital for sick sinners. A safe place for sinners. A place to get healing and help and eat and drink with Jesus' people. This is one of the reasons we exist. We gather, we glorify God together and we help one another in our healing. Because we come towards one another and say, I can't be self-righteous. I don't get my own way here. I, I, I'm not going to change you. And by the way, I can't fix you. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that our elders, our job is not to fix you. And I can't fix you. What is our job? Let's go to Jesus together. Let's go to Jesus together. We apply the gospel to each other's lives. We care for one another. And then what? We get sent into the community to tell other sinners about where to get help too. Let's pray. Friends, let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we have heard Jesus in your word call us. We've heard his voice in the scriptures. Thank you that you came not to call the self-righteous, but sinners like the leper, the paralytic, the tax collector, me. Father, we pray, we're asking now for those of us in the room who have good front row seats even to hear your word, that your word would so work in us that if we have not yet responded to the call of Christ and come to him with all our sin and need, we pray for those friends that they would now turn to Jesus with their sin and be clean, healed, relieved of it, that they would follow Jesus with joy. Father, we pray for this if it's children among us or teenagers or those in our senior years who are still thinking about as we approach that moment we will meet him, that we see the opportunity of meeting him now and believing in him and knowing him as our God, our forgiver, the great physician. Father, we pray for us as a church that we would see that joy of Jesus changing everything truly reform us from sinners who are saints, who are growing with our trust and faith in Jesus, to then speak to others freely because nothing could shut us up. Father, we pray that you would be seeing other sinners called to come and meet Jesus, who is so gentle, who is so lowly, who reaches out to us by his sovereign grace. We thank you for him. We now sing of him with joy in Jesus' name. Amen.